0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the BJPsych International podcast. My name is Hamilton, and I am a Psychiatry core trainee working in London. And I am joined by...
1: Hi, my name is Sachin, and I'm a psychiatrist working in London. Also.
0: (laughs) Yep. And today, we're going to be discussing an article published in the BJPsych International in December 2020, titled... Pattern of Psychiatric Inpatient Admissions in Al Ain, United Arab Emirates, which was authored by Dr. Kareem Abdelaziz et al.
1: And we'll be speaking to Dr. Kareem about the article later on. So, Sachin, is this our first article on mental health services in
0: the United Arab Emirates? I think it might be.
1: It's certainly the first UAE article we've covered on the podcast. Uh, Shall we talk about the country first? I've got up sure. this article from the BJ Psych International, as it happens. Country profile on the United Arab Emirates from April 2008 of the journal. And it, hopefully things have not changed too much since then. But we know that from our current article that the UAE in 2017 had an estimate population of 9.3 million people. And it's actually interesting that the gender division in UAE is slanted. That at least in 2008, and I'm sure this has not changed, males constituted 67.6% of the population and females 32.4%. And as we'll see, a large percentage of the UAE is actually made up of foreign expatriates. As of 2008, and again, I'm hoping things have not changed too much, only 21.9% of the residents of the countries are Emiratis, so UAE citizens, and the remainder comprise of expatriates from nearly 120 countries coming to look for work in this, I'm quoting the article, oil-rich country, the largest ethnic group amongst Resident population is Asian, with the majority from the Indian subcontinent, and the official language is Arabic, and the official religion is Islam. The
0: actual United Arab Emirates Federation was formed in 1972 and consists of seven different emirates, which are Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Sharjah, Ajman, Al kaiwan Fujairah, and Ras al-Khaimah. The UAE is a high-income country, apparently as of 2008, so it may have changed somewhat, but at the time the proportion of gross domestic products spent on health care was 3.5%. Now, the country profile mentions that tradition and religion are both considered highly important in the UAE, and as a result, there can often be the notion that supernatural forces are the cause of mental illness, and in addition, self-blame and guilt can arise in those who are mentally unwell, as there can be a belief that mental health symptoms are a punishment for one's sins. What's more, subsequently, given this belief behind the potential causes of mental illness, often the first stop for seeking help may be traditional healers, which of course is something we know isn't exclusive to the UAE. In fact, in a previous study of the help seeking preference for mental health problems in children, by Epan and Gubash, it was found that only 37% preferred to consult a mental health specialist. Now, it is proposed that perceptions of mental health and attitudes towards mental illness have improved with improvement in education, employment, and social opportunities. However, there still remains a large degree of stigma associated with mental illness that often prevents individuals from seeking appropriate care
1: and what is the article we're looking at today the article
0: we're looking at today is titled pattern of psychiatric inpatient admissions in al-a'in united arab emirates essentially the article is a retrospective study of data on all patients admitted to a regional psychiatric inpatient unit over the course of a three-year period and they reflect on The breakdown of different presentations, psychopathology present, as well as the nationality of patients, identifying and comparing trends in presentations between UAE nationals and expats. They go on to postulate the causes behind these discrepancies, and they make suggestions for the future of psychiatric care in the UAE.
1: And... Who better to tell us about these findings and what it means for UAE than the first author of the paper, Dr. Karim Abdel-Aziz. Cool.
2: My name is Kareem Abdel-Aziz. I am currently an assistant professor at the United Arab Emirates University in Lain in the eastern region of Abu Dhabi, in the United Arab Emirates. I moved to the United Arab Emirates from the UK about seven years ago, 2014, and it's obviously a different work experience than what it would be in the UK. And I was actually very interested in terms of just the makeup of the population, in terms of the general population and also in terms of the psychiatric population. So my interest in writing this paper came from the fact that from using very detailed electronic medical records, we found that we had a huge pool of data regarding inpatient admissions to the psychiatric inpatient facility in Alain, which is where I'm based at the moment, where I do my clinical work, so it's called Alain Hospital. And so we retrospectively looked at three-year data from 2012 to 2015 looking at the pattern of psychiatric inpatient admissions in that hospital. Now, just to put that into some context, Ain is maybe over the eastern region of Abu Dhabi caters to about a third of the psychiatric inpatient population. So there's about maybe 33 inpatient beds there of something approaching nearly 100 or 105 beds for the whole of the UAE. So it is in some ways quite representative of what the general inpatient psychiatric population for the country might be, so it represents maybe a third of that. And it was fascinating because the UAE, in terms of its population makeup, is overwhelmingly a population of expats and migrant workers, if I can put it that way, and that was bound to reflect on the psychiatric population and the inpatient psychiatric population more specifically. And so, when we retrospectively looked at the data, the very interesting thing is that in addition, obviously, to the local Emirati population, which made up, I believe, about 59% of the inpatient population, we had about over 40 other nationalities admitted in just that one facility. And these are people ranging from Europe, North America, but overwhelmingly from the Asian subcontinent, from the neighboring country of Oman, and interestingly from Ethiopia amongst many other countries. So that's in terms of its makeup. In terms of the actual patterns of diagnosis, it was interesting in the sense that the primary diagnosis for inpatient admission for the whole population or for that whole sample were psychotic disorders, followed by bipolar disorders, then substance use disorders, then major depressive disorders, acute stress disorders, adjustment disorders. And then when we broke that down by nationality or We broke it down into Emiratis versus expats. We found that the primary or the major diagnosis in both obviously was psychotic disorders, and there was a statistically significant difference in terms of more Emiratis being admitted with substance use disorders and significantly more expats being admitted with adjustment and acute stress disorders. So those were the main findings of the paper. Its implications are in terms of planning for future services within Alain and maybe the wider country of the UAE.
1: Could you give me a sense of what it is like at Al Ain Hospital? This is a hospital, as you say, which carries 30% or a third of the country's bed capacity. Yeah. How does that work over there?
2: Well, yeah, it's certainly a busy hospital. There's a high turnover of inpatients. It is the only inpatient psychiatric facility in the eastern region of Abu Dhabi. So it caters to Al Ain City, so the main city of Al Ain itself, and a wider catchment area That covers the other smaller towns in the eastern region of Abu Dhabi. So that covers approximately a diameter of about 150 kilometers, as you take Al Ain as sort of the central point of that. And it serves a population of around 770,000 people. So it's quite considerable in terms of the size of the population it serves. The unit itself is always busy, there's usually an overflow of patients There's a recent move now to expand that 33-bed capacity to try and include maybe an additional further 20 beds.
1: One thing you noted, beyond the disorders ranked as most admitted, so psychotic disorders and bipolar, they also accounted for the longest duration of stay, psychotic disorders and bipolar disorders. So there seems to be a lot of inpatient demand for these conditions. How is that matched by outpatient care?
2: Yeah, the outpatient service in Elaine is quite well developed. It works differently than it would in the UK. It's a hospital-based outpatient service. So it's actually based within the hospital campus, not obviously within the department. And it usually consists of maybe five or six clinics running simultaneously, eight to four every day or eight to five every day. And it's made up of consultants, specialists and residents. So these are the what we would call SHOs in the UK or STs, ST1s to 3s. And so we have about six clinics running five days a week. So quite intensive and service, again, well developed. And it usually runs as a general psychiatry service. So even with sort of specialized or subspecialties like old age, it's usually fit within the umbrella of the general adult service. So there is a move to sort of try and develop more specialized clinics but that still hasn't sort of formally taken off. So it's all done under the umbrella of general adult psychiatry.
1: And the other breakdown, as you mentioned, was the breakdown between expats and local Emiratis. 41% of admissions over those three years were local Emiratis. But that seems disproportionate to the fact that Emiratis make up 20% of the country's population. What would describe this disproportionate admission rate?
2: Excellent question. I think it comes primarily from, I mean, if we take the starting point, is that even prior to coming into the country, expats usually undergo some kind of health screening, physical and and mental health. But prior to starting employment, so it's less likely that more of the severe end of the spectrum of illnesses, which are usually disabling and affect people's ability to work, so there's less likely to be expats with those kind of disorders that require admission. In addition, the city of Al Ain has the highest concentration of Emiratis for the major cities in the UAE. So although we say around 20% for the whole country, Al Ain is probably much higher than that. I don't have an exact figure. But certainly in terms of Emiratis, Al Ain has the highest concentration of Emiratis for a major city. The other point that it could be of issue is the insurance health coverage that many expats receive. So there's different levels of insurance in the UAE. So uh, Emiratis are covered for all diseases and disorders including mental health. So receiving treatment or access to treatment is not an issue at all. And that's true for both government facilities and for private mental health care providers. Uh, It's different for many of the expats, so there are challenges in terms of, of seeking mental health care. Obviously, if it's a psychiatric emergency, exemptions can be made. But for many of the expats, especially those requiring longer term follow up, many have had to either pay out of their own pockets or seek exemptions from payment, with many of them actually opting to seek treatment back home in their own countries, with all the challenges that that entails.
1: The other breakdown between Emiratis and expats was that the average age of admitted local Emiratis was three years older than the average age of expats admitted. What do you make of this difference between the age of admission?
2: could be a number of reasons for that. So it could partly be due to the fact that Emiratis may delay in seeking health care, as there's still a stigma surrounding mental health issues, as there are in many other parts of the world. So that could be one reason. Another reason is that many of the older population, the mental health population, So, for example, patients with dementia are overwhelmingly made up of Emiratis. As expats, once they reach a retirement age or even earlier, most of them will no longer stay in the country. So this might skew the mean age towards older Emiratis, I suppose.
1: The other factor I think that was mentioned was that local Emiratis may seek treatment elsewhere. Is there a faith healing treatment option that is used within the UAE?
2: Oh, very much so. It's, uh, I hesitate to use these words, but it's, uh, it's a big industry here. So very frequently Emiratis will use and often seek traditional healers as their first port of call, even before seeking a medical professional for a mental health issue. That is extremely common. And I suppose it goes back to sort of the model that, again, exists in many other countries in terms of Things like possession by evil spirits or what we call the evil eye in this part of the world. So there's usually sort of a cultural explanation before people veer towards the medical model.
1: When we think about the different pressures that Emiratis and expats may be under, it might be borne out in the difference in rates of the conditions that they are admitted with. And the statistically different rates that your study found was that local Emiratis are more likely to be admitted with substance use disorders. That's 23% versus 5.4% in expats. Meanwhile, expats are more likely to be admitted with adjustment disorders and more likely to be admitted with acute stress disorders. What does this tell you about these populations?
2: Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, expats probably experience more of the acute stress disorder, adjustment type disorders, mainly related to the stress of migration. That's a big factor. So many of these patients who are admitted with these disorders are young, single, semi or unskilled workers living without their families, often working in demanding jobs with their families back home, relying on them for financial support and a certain degree of uncertainty with regards to their job stability. So all these are sort of pressures and factors that could be at work here for these patients. Uh, In terms of the substance use disorders, why is it more amongst Emiratis? I suppose it has something to do with the legal and financial implications for expats using substances. I mean, obviously there are, but I suppose it has something to do with the affordability of drugs, if you like, the ease of access to it. So, for example, the drug most seen in particularly in inpatient facilities for substance use is crystal meth. That's the number one drug that patients seek treatment for. It's an extremely expensive drug. So it would probably make more sense that Emiratis can more easily afford this drug. And again, the other thing is the general lack of availability of easy treatment facilities for expats. And I suppose also the legal implications. So obviously if an expat were to face legal consequences, they could be very dire indeed, including prison, but also they'd lose their financial livelihood. They'd probably be deported from the country. Whereas Emiratis, maybe the implications are not as dire in terms of things like deportation.
1: Substance use disorder was the primary diagnosis for 12.6% of all the admissions seen over those three years. Mm-hmm. What is the country's situation with regards to substance use, the attitude towards it and the legal legislation surrounding it? And is it particularly unique to the UAE or is this something that's- reasonably noticed?
2: I mean, I would say in terms of rates of substance misuse, it's probably comparable to other countries in the region. In terms of awareness of it, I mean, recently in the last maybe uh, 10 years, there have been two major treatment facilities developed specifically for substance use disorders. One in Abu Dhabi called the National Rehabilitation Centre, and one in Dubai called Irada Centre. And these work very closely with The police and the criminal justice system. So, for example, individuals charged with possession or found to be using drugs, for example, the criminal justice system offers them a route into treatment as opposed to them serving time in prison. So that interdisciplinary collaboration is certainly much needed and is a very positive step. It provides high-level care for these patients Again, at the moment, it's still something that is exclusively available to Emiratis. It's available to expats, but at a cost. So again, it would be one of the challenges in terms of expats accessing care with ease. And which might also explain why we don't see as many of these expats coming for treatment to government facilities. I suppose what we would like to see in terms of substance misuse disorder is more Emirati doctors working within these types of services. Because at the moment it almost exclusively relies on expats. And the reason being that obviously Marathis would have more awareness of of sort of local cultural issues. They'd probably be easier to retain, as there does tend to be a large turnover in the expat workforce. So I believe that would be one of the goals to aim for in terms of these disorders.
1: Now, something I noticed of interest was that psychotic disorders was the most common presentation for expats. But when you break it down by nationality, the largest expat group, the largest non-Emirati group, Ethiopians, most commonly presented not with psychosis, but instead with acute stress reaction, which was 29% of the cases that Ethiopians presented with considering that acute stress disorders otherwise has a low incidence amongst expats?
2: I mean, we're actually conducting a separate study on that very uh, issue at the moment. So we're looking at the question of Ethiopian inpatients, because as you said, I mean, what we did notice from the study, they make up about 10% of the inpatient population, the whole inpatient population of the study, even though within the general population, they're probably represented by less than 1%. So there's an over-representation in psychiatric inpatients. And as you very kindly pointed out, there's an excess of acute stress diagnosis. What we noticed so far from the data that we have is that Ethiopian patients who were more likely to develop acute stress disorders tended to fit a certain profile. Overwhelmingly, these tended to be females, young, either in their late teens or early 20s, single, usually working in unskilled or semi-skilled jobs. So majority were housemates. Most had no language skills, not even English, so they, there was a huge language barrier. Many had recently just arrived into the country, so be maybe a matter of days or even weeks from their arrival to their admission to the psychiatric inpatient unit, and many were outside their homes for the first time.
1: Let's talk about how the UAE is equipped to deal with the demand for psychiatric services now your paper mm-hmm. tries to address working out what this demand is or what might be needed in terms of services and it notes that currently there's 1.6 psychiatrists 0. 0.76 psychologists 4.37 nurses per 100,000 population in the UAE what is your impression of the current psychiatric workforce in its ability to deal with the mental health burden in the UAE?
2: Yeah, the demand is there. It's increasing. Unfortunately, because of the recent COVID situation, restrictions on people going in and out of the country, recruitment has probably not kept up with the demand as well as it could have. In the last few years, we've noticed that more patients are presenting to mental health services. There's also a steady increase in the number of private mental health care facilities although these only offer outpatient services so far. Medical schools have increased both in number and in the number of students they take on, and we've noticed more students in recent years opting for careers in psychiatry. There's also been very sort of concerted efforts on the part of the healthcare leadership to enhance both the quality and quantity of services through international collaborations with major institutes or institutions from Europe and North America, both for accreditation of training programs and accreditation of services. There's also been recent efforts to integrate mental health more into primary care. I suppose part of the reason for that could be reducing the stigma that's seen as part of primary care more. And regarding the issue of mental health for expats, the main challenge would be facilitation of access to mental health care. And I think the way to do that is basically to provide insurance coverage that covers mental health as part of the standard package of care.
1: What further research or what next steps do you feel need to be taken?
2: As I mentioned at the the start of our conversation, I, I work at the university, so research is very much a part of what I do. I would say in terms of what we can do, there's a huge database of electronic records, sort of untapped data that we're only starting to look into. So the medical records are extremely well documented. It's all computerized. With a click of a button, we can access a lot of information, not just regarding diagnosis, but even regarding things like auditing the various monitoring policies for say, for example, antipsychotics. And this can generate a wealth of data, both for research purposes and for uh, service planning. And I see that as the way forward because Obviously, the development of mental health services in this part of the world needs to be in line with what is actually happening on the ground. And hopefully this paper has been a positive step in that direction.
1: One thing that you made me wonder when you were talking about more medical training posts opening up and more medical trainees looking towards mental health within the medical training scheme and within medicine in UAE, how is psychiatry viewed as a speciality?
2: Okay, so it's a very interesting question, a very good question. What I've noticed is that more and more Emiratis are going into psychiatry, not something that we saw a lot of in previous years. I work at a medical school, so you know, the medical students have to pass through us as part of their undergraduate rotation. So hopefully we are giving a good account of ourselves and I've had many students sort of approach me wondering what it would like to to have a career in psychiatry. Many of them are interested in it, but for whatever reasons, again, related maybe to stigma, they don't find their parents being particularly supportive of it. I don't know. Again, maybe it's going back to this idea that maybe psychiatry is separate from mainstream medicine, just because of the uniqueness of what we do and, and the facilities that we have, which tend to be separated from the general hospital. So it's almost looked like as maybe something different from mainstream medicine. But again, that's slowly beginning to change. Attitudes are beginning to change. There are still challenges, obviously, in terms of changing both students and the wider population's perception of psychiatry. But certainly I, in the few years that I've been here, I've certainly seen a change, hopefully towards the better.
1: Well, it's been very interesting talking to you about this paper, and it just shows how Just auditing and seeing the pattern of data emerge over what's going on within acute psychiatric care can tell such a story about what's going on socially and the social determinants of mental health within any country, really, but in the UAE specifically for this study. I do hope that people take an interest in this study and people within the UAE and The region continue to contribute towards research of this kind and to the development of mental health services within the uae
2: indeed indeed thank you for having me and uh, thank you for your very interesting and uh, deep questions
0: so I i like how straightforward it is yeah and i do like the kind of breakdown and exploration of reasons why certain presentations might be more common yeah in uae nationals as opposed to expats yeah with a lot of it kind of just being uh, or at least you know in the discussion that you had with dr Karim, a lot of it does seem to be kind of logic like the idea that yep. everyone is screened in terms of their physical health and mental health on arrival so it makes sense that an expats say more severe psychotic disorder diagnoses might be screened against like schizophrenia or whatnot
1: Mm. Yeah, and I said it in the interview as well. It's just very satisfying and logical how it fits together like a puzzle solution Mm. where you've got the data and you can see what kind of story it tells.
0: Mm. I mean, because as I was reading the article and listening to the interview, I was thinking about what I've seen on the psychiatric wards here in terms of how many patients are on the ward of psychotic disorder or bipolar disorder. And it made me realize... I don't know about you, but at no point do I, or well, it's not that I, I don't think about it, but it's not at the forefront of my mind if someone is a UK national or not. I mean, obviously, there'll be some aspects at play in terms of each person's individual circumstances and what's going on in their life. But I've never, in my mind, thought, ah, yes, or at least I've had no reason to believe, ah, yes, you know, acute stress disorder I'm seeing more often in expatriates as opposed to UK nationals.
1: Well, you might, without realizing it. For example, if you get patients who are from countries where there is civil unrest or conflict, you might wonder about trauma.
0: Sure, PTSD and whatnot. Yeah. Mm, That is a good point. I guess when you put it like that, that might be a more common trend that you'd expect. And we also do know from research on psychosis and schizophrenia that it is more common in those who have immigrated to another country. Yeah, I guess one would, you know, hypothesize that it's related to the, the stress of kind of upheaval and and moving location and, and finding work in that new place.
1: Hmm. And certainly when you talk about thinking about the patient and where they've come from and what they've been through, that just makes me remember my first consultant in psychiatry who stressed to me that i should present patients with the personal history first to make things clear in terms of what
0: well, the journey that that they've come along to to get to here to this point
1: exactly and to be really clear about it like they grew up in this decade they were this years old at this time and were in this part of london or this part of the country or this part of the world but to give a real clear picture of the culture that they were experiencing as they grew up, because it's very different for... Well, I don't need to break it down granular, but everyone has a different story which will influence their lives in terms of adversity.
0: That's interesting, actually. I mean, obviously, there are reasons why, um, generally, we start with presenting complaint, partly because of, you know, the S bar format and, for the sake of time, kind of having everything in a neat structure. But at the same time, sometimes... I, I mean, I have always wondered when I present patients like that, not just in psychiatry, but in medicine in general, am I creating a form of confirmation bias in the listener? If I say what my impression is right at the start, and then tell the story, are they then um, retrospectively seeing those links and connections there? When otherwise, if I just told them the story of the patient and who they are and their life, would they have come to a different conclusion?
1: Exactly. And that also came up not just with my first consultant, but with a consultant I had in forensic psychiatry, who again, didn't want to hear the presenting complaint first or didn't want to hear the offense first. They wanted to hear the person's story, what led them up to this point. Because again, you could really prejudice the view of someone by starting with, here's the psychiatric illness or here's the...
0: Index offense.
1: The index offense, exactly. Or here's their involvement in the criminal justice system. When you really want to foster empathy with patient and that's not to say that knowing their psychiatric illness would make you less empathetic but you want to see them as a person before you see them as a diagnosis
0: absolutely otherwise how on earth are you going to form any sort of therapeutic connection and relation with them in the pursuit of making them better you know mm-hmm. there has to be that recognition of the individual that they are and the journey that they've had to get to this point
1: yep and to bring it to the uae this wasn't in an interview but it is in the article I mean, it sounds obvious, but just about what expatriates go through. The article says that many expatriates originate from countries affected by political unrest, poverty, ethnic and racial discrimination, and military conflicts. Plus, added stresses such as isolation and societal differences after moving to the UAE can also occur more frequently, explaining the higher occurrence of stress-related diagnoses in expatriates. So, I mean, we had the idea that the immigration process and that's you know both pre-immigration during immigration and post-immigration can have a lot of stressful effects but mm. those are some specifics we can look at the list of countries that these people come from actually of the total of 570 patients about 60% were expatriates from 42 different countries and the most common as mentioned in the interview was Ethiopians at around 10%. followed by Pakistanis, 7.4%. Omanis, 5.6%. Indians, 5.4%. Bengalis, 5.3%. Yeah. The data tells the tale, really, of additional stress-related mental illness within those populations.
0: It's also quite nice and interesting seeing, you know, the term expatriates being used here in this paper, because in the UK, I feel like it's one that is kind of used unequally in that, well, just <laughs> anecdotally, you'll hear about British expatriates, British expats overseas, but then if someone is living here, they're not a, an expat, but they're seen rather as the more uh, loaded term, you know, immigrant or immigrant worker will be used instead.
1: Yeah. Well, I admit I had to kind of switch my thinking around when reading this paper. Although we, uh, you know, we understand the situation of UAE that it's got a lot of workers from overseas you read the word expatriate and i think especially in this country naturally associate that with you know brits in spain for example yeah who would (laughs) exactly and and they'd have kind of the financial means to be able to do that and so then when you read that expatriates have a high degree of Stress related mental health conditions, or that you hear from Dr. Karim that they may not be able to afford mental health care in the UAE, you have to flick that switch that, okay, expatriates is a broader term than that, and, and rightly so.
0: Mm. And I think, I mean, to come back to the trend specifically of high numbers of patients from Ethiopia with acute stress reaction, as you know, as you mentioned many of the countries listed are countries that have conflict and ongoing within their borders and of course there is a civil war taking place in Ethiopia at present. Yeah it'd be interesting just to go through that list and just confirm you know the current social economic and political situations in each of those countries.
1: Mm. Because you know again we broadly said oh the risk of schizophrenia for example is higher in people who migrate from one country to another but then does that granulate into what kind of situation yeah what kind of situation is the country from which you're migrating
0: Mm. yeah that's interesting because i guess on these kind of questionnaires well when you assess a patient you know you'll assess their symptomatology and often in research that's like the scoring on different criteria checklists like to what extent did you have depressive symptoms symptoms of anxiety um, PTSD symptoms, but you know what checklists are there for like degree of social unrest or economic situation or within one's home country, mm. and how relevant is it? You know, in each different individual.
1: Yeah, that is of course only one stressful part of the migration process, which is the pre-migration, the civil unrest, the social factors, the oppression that might cause someone to leave a country or even flee a country but then there is the migration process itself which can be perilous it can be
0: Oh, life-threatening for me.
1: life-threatening yeah and then there's the experience in the new country where you may be a minority where you may be persecuted
0: and of course there'll be knock-on effects of the situation back home you know as an individual is still in contact with, with family and friends and they can, you know, continue to be the stress of the, the situation at home. So it kind of, there's pre, during, and after, but then also at the same time, you do get the, the shockwaves and ramifications from, you know, the situation beforehand. Mm. Or if the journey itself was traumatizing and induces PTSD-like symptoms, then yeah, I it's almost like some sort of Venn diagram or, or I feel like one could make a flow model to depict this. Or maybe, <laughs> perhaps someone has. Yeah.
1: Um. I imagine they have. Uh, So Al Ain Hospital in itself sounds very interesting, taking up a third of the beds in the country, which really sounds like it's going to be busy, (laughs) is the best way to say. Another tidbit from the uh, article is that there is rehab facilities because a lot of this article gets into...
0: Substance use disorders.
1: Exactly. A lot of this article gets into substance use disorders And as Dr. Kareem mentioned, there is a move towards having specialized services for substance use, and there's a National Rehabilitation Center in Abu Dhabi City. However, it's located far from Al Ain Hospital, so people end up getting admitted to Al Ain Hospital with substance use disorders anyway. So that would explain a lot of the admissions to Al Ain Hospital, although there are specialized services in the country.
0: Hmm. Whenever substance use disorder, rehab facilities pop up in conversation always, it makes me realize and then think about, of course, our own situation. And, you know, in terms of the availability of public facilities, as opposed to private rehabilitation facilities. And it just made me realize I'm actually, you know, do forgive me. I think this has come up um, often in, in these discussions, but I'm, it seems that healthcare currently is is free only for, United Arab Emirates citizens. Interestingly, apparently Dubai and Abu Dhabi are the second and third most popular medical tourism destinations in the region. So, popular with medical tourists. Mm. I'd be curious about kind of the breakdown for mental health care, but it looks like expats do need insurance to be able to access the health care.
1: Yeah. That, again, brings us to how Emiratis are in terms of population size, overrepresented. In mental health institutions, that they have more admission percentage than there are than they are a percentage of the population. But again, this was explained by the fact that expatriates have health screening for entry to the country, and again, affordability issues and expatriates maybe going back to their own country to get health care, meaning that Emiratis make more use of services also emiratis are more concentrated within the big cities so again that will make up for some of the disproportionality
0: Mm, yeah
1: just to tie up the substance use because we were we were asking you know how does uae stack up against the region for drug use and the article does in fact reference
0: well the united nations world drug report
1: yeah So the United Nations World Drug Report 2019, if we bring that up, we get some prevalences of drug use in various countries. We can look at cannabis, for example. The annual prevalence of use as a percentage of the adult population, 5.35% for cannabis in the United Arab Emirates. That would compare to... That's pretty high in terms of countries in the Middle East or near the Middle East. The only ones which are higher are Lebanon, 6.4%, and Israel, 27%, apparently, depending on source. A more comparable country might be Afghanistan, 4.28%. I think we should always compare to the United Kingdom. So 2018, 7.6%. So cannabis, just a bit lower than the United Kingdom. Cocaine. No data for the United Arab Emirates. Amphetamines. No data for the United Arab Emirates. Ecstasy. I can take a guess on that one.
0: Wait, no data for amphetamines? Yeah. What?
1: Am I missing it? So, amphetamines. Afghanistan, Iran, Israel, Kuwait, Pakistan, Saudi. And that's it. God, the lack of data on this table is making me think I shouldn't have brought it up to begin with. Uh, Opioids. Nothing for the UAE. Opiates. Opiates almost doesn't bear mentioning the united arab emirates percentage is 0.02 percent also includes problem opiate users that can't be okay so there's not much data in the un world drug report 2019 about the united emirates but it is significant in the region in general
0: so united arab emirates is one of the few nations in the world that can impose even a death penalty for drug abuse
1: oh well that might explain things Clearly, there is a need to address legislation as well as mental health services, because as Dr. Kareem mentioned, there's a stigma issue, but clearly, it's not just about attitudes, it's about actual fear of prosecution. And you don't want to make yourself known as a drug user if that's the penalty, especially if you're an expatriate. So yeah, you
0: could, you know, lose your job position in society. and, And it sounds like in terms of possession presence of illegal drugs detected in blood or urine tests is also counted as possession, for which you can be, you know, prosecuted to find and possibly imprisoned. What's your source? The source I'm using is World Nomad's travel safety website, and the Legal 500 website that breaks down the different schedules of penalties for use, possession of narcotics and illegal substances in the UAE. So, yeah, clearly that might be something that prevents people from getting in contact with healthcare services and also i wonder if as a clinician your focus is on your patient and, and treating them and taking care of them but perhaps one might be worried for your patient's well-being regarding if you i guess it's tricky but the extent to which you record their drug use well not record it but just i mean you know who knows who has access to that information and what it could be useful and the impact yeah. it could have on someone's future willingness to engage with healthcare services
1: yeah and dr kareem did mention that there is Collaboration or co working between mental health services and the justice system to maybe help people who are within the justice system for drug use to be diverted to mental health care, which sounds like a positive. And I hope that that also involves trying to medicalize the issue rather than criminalize the issue. Yeah. I guess all is left. I don't know if you want to talk about the workforce.
0: The workforce.
1: Yeah, basically, there's only like 1.6 psychiatrists per 100,000 population.
0: I mean, you know, it's, it's a trend we see often, low number of psychiatrists per capita. And, but of course, mental health services aren't just purely delivered by psychiatrists. But there is also the mention of the way forward potentially being following the World Psychiatric Association's guidance on community mental health care. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in the article and in the interview... Dr. Kareem mentioned how outpatient services were provided at the same hospital. Yeah. That's where the inpatient services were provided, which, you know, sounded quite interesting. But obviously there are benefits to having clinics and facilities more local in in the community for individuals, perhaps with a different level of needs and requirements. But as a good buffer before they become unwell enough to require admission.
1: Mm. And just in terms of trying to increase the workforce the other aspect of that is wanting to increase the number of local emiratis joining the workforce because as dr cream said it's a bit of an expat heavy sector i guess
0: to do that there needs to be a, an evaluation of the medical education provided nationally and then it's i mean it's not just that but how many are choosing to do psychiatry it's, it sounded like just briefly from towards the end of the interview dr cream mentioned that there still is stigma amongst I guess medical students applicants with regards to psychiatry being seen as something separate and of course that's you know that's not exclusive to the UAE
1: yeah I was just gonna say that's no surprise is it I mean here in the UK we've got the choose psychiatry program for a reason which is to encourage recruitment into psychiatry and this just makes you realize that it probably should be more of a global program if anything Mm. I wonder who would spearhead something like that
0: I mean, just from, you know, Twitter engagement, I think the whole true Psychiatry campaign has made waves not just nationally, but has been seen internationally as a successful example of how to boost recruitment. We know that numbers of people applying for psychiatry training in the UK have gone up, and we've had years where every post was full, which was something that was previously unheard of. It's sad to think that a spin is needed or a good engagement campaign is needed, but I guess the numbers can't be ignored. It worked for psychiatry training in, in this country and I hope it continues to work for psych training in this country but maybe we need more hashtag choose you know psychiatry offshoots in other countries and maybe other specialties need their own you know hashtag choose GP or hashtag choose I've, I've seen hashtag choose pediatrics pop up on my timeline even but yeah obviously I'm reducing a massive campaign with lots of varied facets to a simple hashtag but it's the best way to sum it up really Funnily enough, my in-laws actually met working in the United Arab Emirates. My father-in-law is a Sudanese doctor, but he was working there and he met his wife, who at the time was working as a nurse. She's from the Philippines. And just, you know, anecdotally from speaking to them, there is this quite big culture of, well, there being at least expat doctors and expat nurses. I guess I'm curious what it would be like to work there. But I guess the focus, of course, you know, in this interview was more (laughs) on the patient experience. But, well, I'd be interested in reading figures on the workforce breakdown as well.
1: So that was the article, Pattern of Psychiatric Inpatient Admissions in Al Ain, United Arab Emirates, by Dr. Kareem Abdelaziz et al., leave you with the implications of the paper which says that there is a great need to improve knowledge about mental illness in the UAE and to develop ways of increasing access to mental health services. Our analysis provides clinical information that can contribute to promoting knowledge and help reduce stigma by improving the perception of mental illness. It is likely that a screening program based in primary care might facilitate earlier detection of mental illness in the community, while a proactive education program in schools and in the community might prove useful to improve knowledge about mental disorders and how to access services at the earliest convenience. Future service planning would also benefit from creating specialized substance misuse services locally to serve the needs of the community. That's it! I've been Sachin. And I have been Hamilton. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Farewell.
2: Thank you for listening to this BJ Psych International podcast. For the latest updates, follow us on Twitter at the BJ Psych. To listen to more podcasts from the BJ Psych Journal portfolio, visit us on SoundCloud or search for us online.